0: For David leading us in the Lord's Supper, just great to be together to worship God this morning. Did you ever take up a dare or a challenge? Someone told you you couldn't do something, and you sought out, sought out to try and prove them wrong. squeeze an egg so hard that it would break if you squeezed it all the way around the egg. And so I took up that challenge and I proved them wrong. I don't know if I did it right, but my reward was I just got egg all over my hand. You know, guys are are notorious for doing this. You get a group of guys together. Many times there's going to be a challenge that's issued. You can't do this, you can't do that. And there'll be one guy in the group that'll take up the challenge and try and prove everybody else wrong. And many times that results in the trip to an emergency room because we tried to do something that we couldn't do. I want to tell you that God has made several such declarations to us. God has said in his word over and over again, you can't do this over and over again. And sadly, many times people have treated them like dares, where we've looked at what God has said, that you can't do this, and we've tried to prove him wrong. I want to tell you this morning, you can't beat God. If God tells you you can't do something, then you can't do it. And sadly, there are many people, and I'm afraid many Christians, that are trying to prove God wrong. And when they go out to do this, I want to tell you, they're gambling with their soul. And they're going to lose that gamble every time. You can't beat God. When God makes absolute statements, we need to take Him at His word and we need to accept them. This morning, I want to look at those absolutes with Him. First off, I want to look at one that's very clear. God says you can't have evil companions and them not affect you. God says very clearly that evil companions corrupt. Do not be deceived. In Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That's an absolute. God says if we have evil friends... They will corrupt us. Evil companions corrupt good habits or good morals. Evil companions corrupt. And there's evil all around us, there's evil in the world. And sadly, many times Christians look at evil around us and say, you know what? It won't hurt me if I associate with him or with her. I can handle it, I'll be a good influence. This person's evil, this person's wicked, but I can be around him or her and it won't corrupt me. I'll be an influence for good. Yet God has said, evil company is going to corrupt you. But no, 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 no. I can beat God. I can do better than that. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 isn't the first place where God said this. Back in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34. When the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land, God said evil company corrupts good habits or good morals. God says you can't be around these wicked people that you're going in to displace. He says you need to get rid of them in Exodus 34, beginning of verse 11. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land." And they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons. And his daughters play the harlots with their gods and make your sons play the harlots with their gods. God said you can't have these people around you. They will lead you astray. Now God didn't tell them that they needed to go into Canaan and start an influence them for good campaign. He didn't say go into Canaan and you just try and associate with them freely and hopefully you'll rub off on them and everything will be good. No, he said you keep your distance because evil companions corrupt. God was very clear, wasn't he? If you make a covenant with them, they will cause you to go astray. Of course, there were people who didn't listen to God. And we know how the story turned out, don't we? They made a covenant with the people and they led them astray. God said, don't make a covenant. We said, we can handle this. We'll make a covenant. They made a covenant. And who was right? God was. Perhaps the most famous person to make a covenant with the idolatrous people was Solomon. Solomon, in all his wisdom, who should have known better, who should have listened to God, made a covenant. And he made lots of covenants with wicked people. In 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 1 beginning 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 11 or sorry 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 1 notice what it says about Solomon but king Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh women of the Moabites Ammonites Edomites Sidonians and Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord has said to the children of Israel you shall not intermarry with them nor they with you Surely they will turn your hearts away from their, after their gods. That's exactly what we just read, wasn't it? But Solomon said, ah, I can handle this. I got this. Notice what it says. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned their heart, his heart after their other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. God said, don't make a covenant with them. Solomon made covenants with their women and married them, just like God had said not to do. Because God said, if you do it, it will lead you astray. And guess what? Solomon did it, and it led him astray. So much that he made idols for them, even for Molech. Molech, you remember, The idol that they offered their babies to? Solomon has been led astray. Solomon couldn't beat God. And I want to tell you that we can't beat God either. God said that evil companions will lead us astray. And don't be so foolish to think that you can get away with it. Evil companions will lead you astray. Now, we're not talking about isolating ourselves from the world by no means. No, God tells us. Jesus tells us that we have to be light and we have to be salt and that we have to go into all the world. He's not telling us to be hermits and isolate ourselves from the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we're going to look at in just a minute, Paul said that we're not to take ourselves out of the world. What he is talking about here is about us being unequally yoked with the world. Being in a relationship with the world that will cause us to compromise ourselves, that will influence us for evil. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, God says, First, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, God says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We're not talking about taking ourselves out of the world, but we are talking about taking ourselves out of situations where our faith is going to be challenged and going to be compromised. And I don't take care who you are in this room this morning. God's word is true. Evil companions will corrupt us. It doesn't matter if we're old or if we're young. Evil companions in the world will corrupt us. Kids, you especially need to know this. There are some people that you should not be friends with because they will cause you to do things that you shouldn't do. I can stand here as testimony to that fact. I have had friends in the past that caused me to do things that I shouldn't have done. And you can ask any adult in this room, I would dare say, did you ever have a friend that caused you to do things you shouldn't do? Friends that are not good are dangerous. And you can't beat God in this. God said evil companions are going to corrupt. And if you make companions with evil people, they will corrupt you. You can't beat God in that. We need to be aware of that. But I want to tell you, it goes farther than just being friends with evil people in the world. I want to tell you that God's Word also warns us about being around Christians who are evil. God has been very clear that evil people in the world will corrupt us, but He's also been very clear that evil Christians, Christians who've gone astray, will corrupt us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6 Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. God takes it one step farther than just being companions with those in the world. He indicates in this passage it's even more dangerous to be companions with those who are claiming to be Christians who are doing these things. And God says in no uncertain terms, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That means if we associate with people who are not living as they should in the church, people who are claiming to be Christians who are not living like they should, there is a real and present danger that that will cause us to be led astray as well. But Christians get arrogant about this, don't they? People get arrogant about this. They say, oh, no, I can handle it. You've probably witnessed it. Where a brother or sister falls away, gets led away in sin, and the Christian brother or sister says, well, you know, they're not going to influence me. In fact, if I don't associate with them, who's going to influence them for good? If I don't continue to act like everything's normal and continue to socialize and, and interact with them just like we did before, then how in the world are we ever going to bring them back? It's not going to bother me. I can handle it. I know what they're doing. It's not going to bother me. But what did God say about it? God said, a little leaven leavens the whole up. You see, when we argue against this and doing what God said to do, aren't we arguing against God? are we trying to beat God? And say, no, it's not going to bother me. It's not going to bother me. And we've seen it happen, haven't we? And all of a sudden, the so-called strong Christian starts to look a whole lot like the weak Christian because we can't beat God. Evil companions corrupt. You can't get around that. We can't argue with it. Furthermore, I want to tell you another absolute that God has said, and God has said in absolute terms, you can't serve two masters. The verse that I'm thinking about is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. You probably know it by heart. No man can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a fancy word for riches here. You can't serve God and your riches and the pleasures associated with them. You can't serve them both. God says we can't do it, and yet we try to beat him, I'm afraid tell you, we can't beat God in this. We have an abundance in the country that we live in. Very abundant country that we live in. I want to tell you what, when we live in Tennessee, we have an abundance over what people have in other states in this abundant country. And when we live in middle Tennessee, you don't have to fa- travel very far from here in Tennessee to realize that we have an abundance in Middle Tennessee. And you get even farther down into Williamson County or Murray County, we have more in these, this area than most people in the world would even imagine to have. And that causes us a danger, a very, very dangerous danger. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 puts it like this. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When we begin to love the abundance that we have, we don't get to the point where we say, wow, this is nice. I've got everything I want. How does it work? You want more, don't you? In a famous quote from John D. Rockefeller, who had so much. He was asked, how much money does it take to be happy? And you know what he answered? It takes just one more dollar. You're never going to get to the point you say, you know what? I got enough. There's always going to be one more dollar if you love silver. That's what the wise man said. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. No, he that loves, nor he that loves abundance with increase. You're never going to get to the point and say, hey, I got enough. I'm done. I'm done. You guys take over from here. No. It never gets that way when you love riches. They become your master. We go after one more dollar. Just a little more. Maybe then I'll have happiness. Maybe then I can have what I want. Just a little bit more. And we keep grasping for more and more and more. And it becomes our master. And Jesus said, you can't serve two. You're going to love God or you're going to love your possessions. You can't serve them both. And we can't beat God in this. And this happens right in front of our eyes. And we're okay with it. Yes, we know what God said, that you can't serve two masters. We think we're going to be different. We think that we can do it. We think that we can hold on to our love for God and we can pursue pursue these possessions with all we got and it's going to be okay. But I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be okay. We can't handle it. It will take us away from God. Maybe it's our career. You know, there's always a little bit more money that's out there and it's just beyond our reach. Just, Just out there, just beyond our reach. There's always more. There's always that next level that we can go. You know, if I work a little harder, if I put in a little bit more time, maybe the boss will notice, and maybe I'll get that promotion, and wouldn't it be nice just to have a little bit more, a little bit more, then our life would be better. Maybe it's our possessions. You know, if I could get a little bit more stuff, then life would be better. Maybe if the house was a little bit bigger, maybe if the car had a little bit nicer, Uh, features on it. Maybe it didn't have so many dents and dings. Maybe if I had a better wardrobe. Maybe if I had this or that. And we keep grabbing, and those things will quickly become our master. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, we read, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see that the love of money when it becomes our master when it is dictating what we do and how we live our lives it's the root of all kinds of evil. Let's look at this in the broader context in 1 Timothy chapter 6 starting back in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some, having strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Do you see how the love of money is put here in contrast to loving God? You can't serve both. You're going to either love money or you're going to love God. You're going to allow money to dictate how you live and what you do? Or you're going to allow God to? You can't do both. You can't love both. You can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. But we think we can beat God, don't we? God has been clear. You can't do it. We won't beat God in this. What's taking the number one spot in your life? God or your riches? Well, how do I know? How do I know? Maybe it's sort of crept into my life. It does that. These things will creep into our lives. How do I know if I'm serving God or my riches? Let me ask you, what are you thinking about the most? What do you think about the most? Is it God? Or is it the riches and pleasures of this world? What gives you the greatest sense of security? Is it your relationship with God? Or is it that number on your bank statement? Which one gives you the greatest sense of security? Let me ask you this. What are you sacrificing the most for? Are you sacrificing the most for God or your career? In other words, what are you giving up the most for? Are you giving up the most for what your job requires or what God requires? What's first? Have we started to serve two masters? You can't do it. You can't beat God in this. I'll tell you, there's a couple more areas that we need to look at quickly before we're done this morning where God has been clear. You can't beat God. He's been clear that you're going to be persecuted. We're looking at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's clear, isn't it? God has said in no uncertain terms, if you live for me, you're going to suffer persecution. And as clear as that is, I'm afraid sometimes we think we might be the exception. Maybe we might beat God in this. Maybe I can make it through without being persecuted. Maybe I can live in such a way that I'm going to be popular. Maybe I can live in such a way that nobody's going to think that I'm a little bit different. I can live in such a way that nobody's going to make fun of me. Maybe I could live in such a way that I would never have to pay a price for serving God. Maybe, maybe it'll be different. Maybe I could beat God. When we think this way, we're ignoring what God said. I want to tell you, we are ignoring what Jesus said in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus said, hey, guess what? It shouldn't come as a surprise when people don't like you and people hate you. Because they hated me. And if you're a Christian, that means you're going to follow me and you're going to live like me, and that ought to bring the same response. They didn't like Jesus. They persecuted him. And if we're being the Christians that we should be, they're going to persecute us. There's no way to avoid being persecuted. It's very easy to do. God would have us to live. But if you do want to avoid persecution, it's very easy to do. All you have to do is compromise a little bit. All you have to do is just not stand up for all of your convictions. Don't ever say anything about Jesus or God to anyone. Just keep it quiet. When your faith is compromised or potentially compromised, you just give in a little bit. Don't give up completely and entirely, but just back off a little bit. Anytime it looks like persecution might come. Yeah, God has been clear. We can't beat God. If we're going to serve God like we should, we're going to suffer persecution. And yet many times Christians use persecution as their throttle. If I'm going to take a position that's going to cause me to have to suffer a little persecution, if I'm going to take a position that might, have to, might put a strain on my relationships with others, maybe those in the church or those in my family or those in the community, if I'm going to take a position that's going to strain relationships, then I pull back and say, well, that must be too extreme. God wouldn't want me to have to be against other people, no. Those who want to live godly are going to suffer persecution. And parents, I'm afraid many times we think that we can beat God when it comes to our children. We love our children. We don't want our children to be in uncomfortable positions. And so when it comes time for our children to stand up for what's right, I'm afraid many times people, parents, try and find a way to shelter their kids from having to stand up for what's right. They try and shelter their kids from any kind of persecution or ridicule. But kids, you're going to have to be different from the world around you. Doesn't matter what age you are. You don't get to fit in with the world when you're a little kid and when you get to be adult. Now, you can't fit in with the world anymore. No, if we're going to be right with God, we're going to have to be different from the world. And parents, let's not try and shelter our kids from that. We need to be training them and getting ready for being. Do you like your kids to learn about being different? Would you like them to learn now while they're under your roof and you can support them and guide them through that process? Or would you like to just put it off until they're the only Christian in the dorm room in college? Or they're the only guy on the job at work that has to stand up for what's right. You'd rather them learn it then or when they're still under your roof when you can help them with that. Let's not shelter our kids from that. We can't beat God. We're going to be persecuted. Finally, this morning, I'll tell you, we can't beat God in his principle of reaping and sowing. God has said very clearly, you will reap what you sow, and you can't get away from that. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. In other words, don't be fooled. You can't beat God. You will sow what you reap. God has been very clear. The way that we live will determine the reward that we reap. Yet, I'm afraid, many times, we live however we want, And ignore this reality. We live like we want to live and think everything will be okay. Ignoring the reality of judgment. Assuming maybe that God will give us a pass in judgment. Like, well, God knows my heart. God knows that nobody's perfect. God knows that I'm mostly good. He'll give me a pass. No, God has said you will reap what you sow. And you're not going to beat God in this. God uses the imagery here of planting a seed. You reap what you sow. God's law of planting and reaping is absolute. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn. You won't get anything else. So it is with us. When we live in a way that isn't pleasing to God, we're going to reap punishment. You can't get anything else. You reap what you sow. Acts In Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 puts it this way. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will reap what we sow. There are a couple other laws or or details and facts about God's law of reaping and sowing. First of those is you reap after you reap it. You sow it and then you reap it. So it is with us in our lives. We sow it and then we reap it. Furthermore, You reap more than you sow. Think about that. I know some of us are getting ready to plant a garden this spring. Maybe we're just going to plant a tomato plant or two in the backyard. You know what? You get more than you plant, don't you? If you had a kernel of corn and you planted it and it grew a corn stalk and out of that corn stalk you got one kernel of corn, why would you plant corn in the first place? You plant a kernel of corn and what do you get out? You get a whole ear of corn. You get hundreds of kernels. And so it is with us in our lives. I want to tell you, we're going to get more than we sow. In Hosea chapter 8 verse 7. Whoops, Hosea chapter 8 verse 7. It says they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. You're going to get more than you sow. We sow a little sin. I want to tell you we're going to reap great consequences in this life. You can't get around it. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. We sow a little sin, a little folly in this life. You know what it's going to do? It's going to mess up our life here on earth. I want to tell you, it's going to mess up eternity as well. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed, rather than having two feet to be cast into hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. You can't get around it. You can't beat God. Are you living in a way that shows that you think you can? Are you ignoring God's reality that you're going to reap what you sow? Are you ignoring sin in your life? But you continue to do it. Do you think, are you imagining that you're going to get away with that? That you're not going to reap what you sow? Maybe it's not what you're doing. Maybe it's the way that you think. Maybe it's the thoughts that you have, the sinful thoughts that you have. Maybe it's your attitude towards others. Maybe it's envy or bitterness or jealousy. We can't live a sinful life and not reap what we sow. We can't beat God. We need to make sure that we're not living in a way that shows that we think we can because when we do, we're gambling with our souls and we're going to lose that every time. God says evil companions will corrupt, that we can't serve two masters, that we're going to be persecuted and that we're going to reap what we sow. When God says something, rather than we can take it to the bank. Let's not try and fight God. Let's accept what He said and let's change our life to align with what He said. I'll tell you, there's one more area Or we won't beat God. And that's in the reality of judgment. In John chapter 5, beginning of verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. We're not going to beat God. This is a reality. Are you prepared? Are you ready? To meet God in judgment. If you're not, if you're not a Christian, there's no better time than right now to become one. Or if you're here and you're not living like you should, will you make correction to that? If there's anything we can do to help, will you let us know while we stand and sing?